Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hey guys, today on the show, we've got Andrew Cushman. He's actually a repeat guest, friend of mine. I've known Andrew for years, incredible operator. And this episode is just packed full of good stuff. I mean, we talk about how he got started, a really tough first property, um, you know, working with a mentor in the beginning, his processes now, how he found his management company, a really good process there, what his team look like looks like what he focuses on just a ton of good stuff andrew fundamentally is just a good guy but he runs a good business and this is all like solid actionable tips whether you're a passive investor whether you're maybe an aspiring operator so um, i enjoyed our conversation i think you will too very quickly, if you want to be on the DJE investor list and you're not already on there, you can go to djetexas.com and there's a button there to schedule a call with our team. We've got to develop that pre-existing relationship and then we can start to show you projects after that. So if that's something you want to see, just go to djetexas.com. Furthermore, if you want to go a step further and run your own deals or learn how to start doing that, learn how to build partnerships, learn how to syndicate, we created apartmenteducators.com as a community and a peer group and a mastermind to get you doing that. You can go to apartmenteducators.com. There's a lot of free content to sign up for. We've got events, boot camps, the whole thing to accelerate your uh, business there and push the fast forward button. So, Okay, we're going to jump in now with Mr. Andrew Cushman. Andrew, welcome. How are you? I am well. Good to uh, be talking to you again, Devin. Yeah, absolutely. We're just saying it's been a couple of years since we had you on the show last, so I'm excited to kind of reconnect here, talk about what you've been up to, recent deals, what's going on with the market, all that fun stuff. Um, looks like there's a surfboard in the background there, so maybe not all business all the time. No, yeah, no, that's not a prop that gets used regularly. So. <laughs> not a prop. I love it. I love it. Well, let's kind of briefly um, kick it off with a little bit of background and bio for those folks that are not already connected with you or already investors with you, what have you, you know, what's your story? How did you, how did you come to real estate? Yeah, I took the traditional path into real estate and went and got a chemical engineering degree. Um, and basically the reason for that was I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I had no idea how to make that happen. So I figured, Hey, if I become an engineer, I'll at least have a good job until I figure out what I really want to do. Uh, graduated, worked as an engineer for seven and a half years, uh, married, uh, my uh, future business partner uh, who had the same idea of like, Hey, let's try to do something on our own. Eventually we discovered, uh, uh flipping houses here in Southern California. So in 2007, we flipped our first, it was a condo, uh, basically made as much as I made all year at my job and said, all right, there's oh no better, like, and yeah, I can't get a better sign, sign than that. So either now or never. So yeah, I walked in and quit, went full-time into flipping. Um, my wife did the same two years later, she quit her job and, and, and joined the business full-time. We did that for about four years and had some really good years in 2009 and 10. But we said, okay, this isn't going to last forever. Um, it's right. also a very transactional business. You're only as good as the last deal you did, and then you're 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 empty. You got nothing coming in um, unless yep. you find another deal. And so we said, all right, well, what's the what's the next big cycle? What's the next big thing? And this is again, this is 2010, heading into 2011. And we said, well, we just had a big recession, which means we're going to have an expansion. So all right, so that means more jobs and rising incomes. 
Uh, and then all these millions of people got foreclosed on, which means they probably can't buy a house for seven years, which means they're going to become renters. So let's see, put those three things together and, oh, hey, apartments should probably be doing well. Let's let's go look into apartments. So we uh, lucked out and pretty quickly found a great mentor to help guide us through learning the business. Uh, 2011 was our first deal. It was a and I don't recommend anyone do it this way, but it was a mo mostly vacant, highly distressed 92 unit property on the other side of the country. Perfect. Uh, yeah, learned a lot, but we got it done. It was profitable and I'm glad we did it because, uh, you know, once you get past the first deal, all the other ones after that are easier. And since then we've been done about 2,100 units in the Southeast and uh, it's been a great business. So, so you picked, so thank you for the overview. Um, you picked a mostly vacant, 90 something unit property for the first one out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's look, I had kind of a similar experience on a 75 unit. That was like the hardest project we've I've ever done. And I haven't done one harder since kind of weird that that was on the front end. Um, so I can, I can, <laughs> I kind of relate with that. How did you find it? How did you finance a deal like that? That was that distressed. So that was 2011 and financing was hard to come by for just about anything, never mind something incredibly distressed. So we had to uh, basically purchase it all cash. And of course we didn't have the cash. So that's when we figured, that's when we learned about syndication right. and said, all right, well, you know, we need a total of $1.2 million to buy this thing and renovate it and turn it around. And so we, we, you know, hired a syndication attorney and drew up the documents and started, you know, went out to our network and we completely underestimated how hard it was going to be to raise that much money. Number one, at that point in the cycle. And then number two, with our very limited network and no track record or anything like that. So right. uh, yeah, I mean, that process almost killed us. It took six months. That's why I'm half gray. Uh, but we did get it done. And so, yeah, so we, we, we raised the 1.2 from investors. And actually, I take that back. We were we had already extended our contract several times and we were still running short. Uh, and so what we did is we went to the seller and we said, hey, you know, when we inspected this thing, we found way more deferred maintenance than we were expecting, which was true. And sure. then so we framed it and said, look, rather than retrade you on price, how about you carry a note for a few hundred thousand and we'll call it good because that that saves us on expenses. He agreed. Nice. So boom, done. Like we got, we were able to get it done uh, by getting the seller to pitch in and carry, carry, you know, carry. I think it was three hundred grand uh, of the of the equity. So yeah, so that's how we raised it by the skin of our teeth. So I love it. So you you raised uh, you know a quarter of the money from the seller effectively. I didn't really raise it, but you bridged the gap on your capital mm -hmm. to close requirement, right? And he didn't, and he didn't mess with his, his number. That sounds great. That sounds like a win-win. I mean, end of the day, we're solving problems, right? Exactly. Yeah. And we, you know, eventually we, we turned that thing around and we refinanced it. We paid him off. Uh, investors got all their money back. And then we, we, you know, us and the investors held it for another three, four years. But so it ended up good, but man, that was a rough, rough first ride. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Do you think a deal like that, that that's rough, that that rough in the very beginning kind of set your barometer for what like and, and what kind of your your ability to handle pressure on like on subsequent deals because you've grown a lot since that first deal right do you think that kind of set the tone that like well if we could do that i mean we kind of do anything right yeah so two two effects of that one well actually really three so one is like you said it's like well so far nothing is nothing is as tough as that one yeah second 
we said, we don't want to do that again. Yep. So we changed the type of properties that we're looking for. And then out of that deal and a couple others is what, you know, is, you know, you've heard it said many times that you learn the most from your mistakes rather than your successes. So when I look at our portfolio over the last 10 years, I attribute a lot of the success of the properties from the, like, especially the last seven years to the changes we made after that one and a, and a couple of the ones after it. And, you know, what we did is we developed a process of screening and saying, okay, we're only going to buy stuff that checks all these boxes. And if it doesn't, it's an automatic no. And we learned what those boxes were by doing some of those tougher deals in the beginning. I love it. Yeah. It's so funny. It's like, <laughs> after you're at this a while, you're like, oh, the, the path forward is relatively simple. You just don't do these 1,000 things. And what's <laughs> yeah. left is is like this success that's relatively straightforward. It's just for some reason you have to know what those 1,000 things are. And for I see it all the time. People want to do those things. It's like we innately want to do the wrong things in real estate. Real estate sometimes is like really counterintuitive, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're totally completely right. And so you could, yeah, you're, you're definitely spot on because I mean, that that path is very, probably 80% of the people I meet that had a, some kind of similar path. Oh yeah, I started buying, you know, ghetto flips and or whatever. And then like, <laughs> I don't do that anymore. And, you know, it's got like a similar, I started in C minus and now I only do A or, you know, something along those lines. So yeah, that's funny. That's so funny. It's such a similar path for, for a lot of operators out there doing it. Um, I love it. Well, thanks for sharing, you know, a, a snippet into that story. Obviously there's years and uh, probably a lot of heartache that went into that. What about kind of fast forward? You know, I know you guys closed uh, a much bigger deal more recently. Can you give us some an overview or insight of that project? And obviously there are plenty of projects in between, but that was the beginning and kind of fast forward and bookend to, to a recent deal and talk about that. And yeah, and what's really interesting about the most recent deal is oddly enough, it also involves a form of seller financing. Hey, love um, it. Yeah, so the most recent one was 252 units uh, owned by a private developer in the Florida Panhandle. Uh, we ended up buying it for 49.8 million. It uh, he built it in phases between 1999. I'm sorry, 2001 and 2019. So it was um, it's oh, a wow. mi- yeah, it's a minus product in an incredibly fast growing area. How did he phase it out? That's a long process. He just had land and kept putting up. Yeah, what he did is he first he built like 40 units on one parcel and then he bought got another parcel around the around the corner and he built another 40 and then he then he got another chunk of land and built uh like 100 and then just by chance the parcel next to it came up for sale and he grabbed that one okay and then added another big chunk and so he's he he's a custom home builder in that market for 40 years so oh. he just knows every person every parcel every contact and just basically that was the family's portfolio right. uh you know kind of outside of his business and he was just looking to retire and um you know a broker that we've worked with for a while had been calling him and said, hey, and then he called me. He's like, hey, this is, you know, exactly the type of thing you guys are looking for. And I feel like it's a good fit. Uh, took four and a half months of negotiating to actually get to being under contract. Uh, but we, we ended up, you know, striking a deal. And the interesting thing is we needed uh, to bring total of 18 million in equity. 
Right. What we ended up doing is, is the seller himself actually invested six million back into the deal. Wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And uh, and so that way, I mean, then we only needed twelve. Uh, so it actually a great move well. on his part. Again, kind of a win-win situation here. It's like, what do you want to do with a twenty million dollar payday? Like, you don't, you know, you don't need that for your lifestyle. You know, you're, you're, you've got some tax consequence. It's like, you're not really at some point in the game, you're not after a giant pile of money to stick in the bank and let inflation erode away at it. Right. You're after cash flow. Like you, you want your, you want your bills paid and you want to avoid taxes. Right. Well, exactly. And then really that's a key component of getting deals done in today's incredibly competitive market, regardless of whether you're trying to get your first fourplex or your, your next, you know, 300 units. It's, it's really the same principle is deals are more made than found right now. Yep. And totally. oh, that means creativity, right? So th- it was off market, but they're obviously, you know, every, every owner is being chased by a thousand brokers right now. So there were yep. some other offers on it, a couple of them for, you know, a million plus more than where we were, but right. because we were able to say, Hey, look, if we do it this way, you're going to save a couple million in taxes. I love it. And you're going to have a guaranteed check every month coming from us. So you've got income and you're saving taxes. And so your net, if you add it all up is actually a couple million higher than if you just take a straight up, sell it all at once. Right. And, and like you said, Devin, you know, we, what are you going to do with 20 plus million, stick it in the bank and get 0.01%. Right. So yeah, by, by creatively work. And again, it took four months of relationship building in order to do that. Um, But it's been, it's been a win-win for everybody. Um, We're, you know, we're thrilled with the asset. Um, It's working out great for him. And um, yeah, so. That's fantastic. So yeah, who cares about anything but the net, right? So everybody's going to crow about some top line number, but um, what's the guy going to walk away with, right? And if you could show a compelling narrative there and they trust you to operate it well, I love it, man. That's uh, that's great. And then so 18 million bucks in equity, that's nothing to sneeze at. Um, you guys aren't having private equity firms from New York come in and write big checks, right? You're just syndicating it the old fashioned way. They're calling us, but we politely say, no, thank you. Um, you know, we, yeah, we've, we've actually, every deal we've done is 506B, which just means it's cool. um, people who we already know or who have already gotten on our list. We don't solicit or anything like that. Um, so yeah, it's just, just uh, your dentists, your doctors, your business owners, uh, it's all those folks. Yep. Yep. So 18 down to $12 million equity with, you know, your, your seller, uh, investing some, but a $12 million equity raise on, you know, on a 506 B from, from existing relationships. That's not, I'm, that's no joke, man. That is a big, <clears throat> that is a big chunk of equity. How did, how did the raise on you guys, um, go for, for this one? Uh, it sold out in 28 hours. Okay. Yeah. Well, good <laughs> yeah. <then. laughs> so it was, it, it went very well with candidly, you know, I underestimated. I had our team psyched up for like, hey guys, we're you know we're really gonna have to reach out to people, make sure they don't, you know connect, let them know that hey, don't you know we've got this great deal. And 28 hours later, we're like because we we do it all online now, and we're just watching it fill up. We're like, really? Like, and yeah, it was done. So wow. Um, and there we had a big waiting list that never got in. So we're we're trying to find the the next one that's just as good. So. So what do you attribute that to? Is it, it, is it just, you hadn't done a deal in a while. You've been treating investors right on previous deals. You guys have been marketing like crazy. What, what is, what do you attribute that kind of one day 
close out to? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, cer- I certainly can't take all the credit for it. A big piece of it is just the, is the current market. Um, lots of people sure. have cash and they need a good place to stick it. Uh, I should not not stick it, but they need a good place to invest it where they can where they can get a, a, a you know a good yield for a you know relatively low you know, risk, uh, amount of risk. So that sure. part, part of it is just the market. It is definitely easier to raise money now um, than, than it was, you know, seven years ago or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, also, you know, almost everybody that invested was people who had invested in our previous deals. Um, we're kind of a low volume. We try to be a low volume, high margin, uh, you know, acquirer and operator. Um, not necessarily that we want to be low volume. It's just, it, we, it's hard to hard. It's been hard to find stuff that, uh, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, it was just um, people that um, we've invested with us over the years or a lot of referrals, a lot of referrals came in and said, Hey, you know, my brother wants to do this as well or, or something like that. So, yep. Yeah, that, that there's really a kind of a snowball effect there that that happens, and then you run into the conundrum of deal flow, right? It's like yep. oh, you got investors you want to put them in deals, but uh, better to not do a deal and just wait and wait until you find one, and then you have a, you know, people know people know they need to act quickly if they're interested in the deal. Yeah, right? no deal is better than a bad deal. That's it. That's it. I love it. What did you guys do on this on this kind of monster fifty million dollar deal? How did you guys structure the the debt on it and what did that look like yeah and that, I, i'm glad you bring up the debt because to me that is one of the most important things to consider in, at this point in the market cycle right. where we're pretty you know we're fairly certain there's going to be inflation of some kind and that's generally good for real estate in terms of values and rents going up but right. then if interest rates go up too much that can be an offsetting factor in that can cause problems with valuations if you need to refinance or sell or something like that. So how we structured the debt on that is we actually went with a 12-year Fannie Mae loan. And the, the beauty of the 12 years, number one, we're fixed at three point something percent for 12 years. Awesome. So if rates shoot way the heck up, we can sit on it for 12 years. And yep. when you look at US real estate, it's tough to find a 12-year period where you know at the end of that 12 years, prices aren't higher than they were at the start. Sure. Uh, so we figured that's our worst case scenario. We're locked in for 12 years. We'll cash flow just fine. We can write it out. But the beauty of the 12 year is you're allowed to get two supplemental loans, right? So that means we, we, we're, we bought it. We're doing a light value add. We're bumping rents uh, actually quite a bit, uh, 25%, which is not what we thought it was going to be. Wow. Uh, it's just the market's gotten so hot. So we're bumping rents. And then what we're going to do uh, or what we can do in a year or two is we can do a supplemental, pull some cash out. But then when we go to, we can, with the 12 year, you have the option of a second supplemental, which means when you, if you sell on assumption anytime before year six, your buyer can not only assume your low rate mortgage, but they can get a, a supplemental to get the leverage back up to 75%. Right. One of the challenges of selling on assumption is a lot of times it makes people have to bring a ton of equity, right. which your lowers the return, which means you get a lower sale price, right? Yep. But if you with the structuring the debt that way, uh, we can wait all the way up until year six, someone, and if interest rates are really high, they can assume our 3% rate and get levered back up to 75%. So we're not gonna get hit on the purchase price. And if for some reason, you know, in year three, four, five, and six, the market is terrible for, for commercial real estate or apartments, we can ride it out another six years 
and just cash flow it and pay down the mortgage. And, you know, I would, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet and, tw- you know, if we had to wait out 12 years, we'll, we'll find another, you know, uh, a good exit in that time frame. So that's how we structured the debt. And it was very intentionally done that way to say, you know what, it's really hard to predict what the debt markets and, and prices are going to be at, from looking forward from this point in the cycle. No so doubt. let's structure this so that almost no matter what happens, we've got a viable exit. So it's really hard to argue with a fixed three something rate. I mean, lots of stuff can happen markets up and down. And if you've got nice high rents and you've got fixed three and a half percent debt, it's like, lets you ride out a lot, gives you a lot of, uh, that's, that's a great floor to have for, for a project. Right. And it's not like you're probably going to see rates go yeah, down. Exactly. And I'm not completely, yeah, I, I mean, we've been, you know, we've all been saying for the last 10 years, rents are, rates are going to keep going up and they keep going the opposite direction. So they could go down, right. but I'm not willing to bet on it. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, that's fantastic. What do you, what does the team look like today for um, kind of running your, running your current portfolio? Is it third party management, big team inside remote? What does what give us kind of the lay of the land there? Yeah, we have a we have a pretty small core team. Uh, we've always kind of our one of our goals is to keep overhead low so that we don't feel pressure to have to do a deal. Yeah. Um, and so we've got uh, you know our first hire, which is I recommend as anybody listening, as soon as you can do this, absolutely do it. And it doesn't even have to be full time; it can be part time. Our first hire, like seven or eight years ago, was an admin person. Yeah. And now she's grown so far beyond that now um, and handles, you know, she's kind of um, our all around ninja can just do just about anything. So we've got, so so we, you know, so she, she, she's a core member of the team. And then about two, two and a half years ago, we brought on someone to help us with, um, you know, systems and just kind of you know, development and putting together the packages and market research and all that. And then we also have an acquisitions person who is actually based in Atlanta, which is kind of, you know, our, if you were to think of a, a wheel with a hub and spokes, Atlanta is the hub. So right. he, he actually lives in Atlanta. So he can run out to a property, you know, on a moment's notice for either a tour or if something happens, we need to go, go look. And so that's our, that's our core team. Uh, and then, of course, you've got your, you know, your third party, your insurance people and lenders and all that. But uh, and then as far as property management goes, we've partnered with the same property management company now since uh, I think 2013. Excellent. And yeah, and so we've grown together. And so we it is it is third party, but it's almost a bit of a hybrid model. Uh, where we asset manage very closely. We're not involved in the day-to-day stuff of like, okay, uh, you know, um, you know, Grandma Sally in Unit 93, her dog bit the, you know, the kid next door. Like, we're not involved in that, but we're, we have very close relationships with the property manager and the maintenance crew, and we do weekly calls where we're all on the call. So yeah. our team, the manager, the maintenance people, the regional manager, so that every week we're doing a check-in to make sure that everyone, you know, knows the vision for the property, where we're trying to go with it. And most importantly, you know, what, you know, what we can do um, to empower them to do that. Like, you know, what can, you know, the, the, all of our managers and maintenance people know, you know, Andrew's job is to make their job as easy as possible so they can, 
you know, do it as effectively and inexpensively as possible and to hopefully enjoy what they're doing. So, um, and that's worked out really, really well. Uh, we, 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 us and our third party management company really work more as partners as opposed to, okay, we're going to hire you, send us the report every month. So. Yeah. You've really got to find that marriage. You know, I kind of tell people sometimes the bank is for sure your biggest partner until you close the deal. And then your property manager, it like, they have to be good. There's no, there's not a, there's not another option there. And so sometimes you either have to kiss some frogs or go through a couple of management companies. What was your process? I mean, you guys have been with them for like the better part of a decade with the same company. And that's awesome. If you can find a third party that works, that takes a whole lot of stuff off your team's plate, right? In terms of HR and, you know, mm-hmm. their P&L for the management company, you don't have to worry about that stuff. How did you find them and what, you know, was it a long process of hiring and firing third-party management companies? Did you just get lucky? What did that look like? It was, um, we, we, we definitely took our time to find them, to find, try to find the right one in the first place. And again, we were very fortunate that it worked out that way. And so the process that we did, and this is the same process I would, you know, if I was going to a new market today, this is exactly what I would do. Uh, as we were talking, as I was talking to brokers, and looking at different properties uh, all around, it was Georgia at the time, uh, I would you know, I'd look at a deal and say, hey, uh, if you were buying this, who would you hire to manage it for you, right? And I'd get their top two or three recommendations. And I just kept doing that over and over again, built up a list of 11 companies that were referred to me by the brokers. And of course, the same two or three tended to keep coming up over and over, sure. which is a good sign, right? So we took that list of 11. Uh, my wife actually went online and researched them all and we eliminated half of them just by finding negative stuff online. Like, oh, they're being sued by their client or, you know, all their properties look terrible or, you know, just, you can just imagine what you'd find online from, you know, about a property management company. So that cut it in half. Uh, then I did phone interviews with the remaining ones. And then I flew out and sat down and had dinner with the owners of the top two companies. And at that point, um, I felt like we had a clear first place and a good second place. And so the first place was the one that we brought on. Uh, at the time, they had 3,000 units under management, which we felt was good because they were big enough to have some scale, but small enough that I'm having dinner with the owners of the company. Right. And I mean, now they've grown. They're at 26,000, but we've grown together. And so I can I can still call you know the, the, the owner of the company on her cell and, and she'll answer and we get, you know, we get amazing service. So that was, that was the process. And I would say for anyone who's looking for third-party management, you know, you're looking for somebody who you know, specializes in what you do, right? So if you're, if you're trying to acquire a bunch of 10 and 20 unit properties around Dallas, you want to find a management company that that's their specialty. You're not going to, you don't want to hire a management company that manages a 300 unit A-class thing, Right. Because they're, they're going to number one, they're not going to care about the income on a 10 unit, but two, they're just not going to know how to do it. So that was part of that process. Like once we got it down to that second half was making sure, like, are they a good fit for what we're doing? And are we a good fit for 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 how they operate? Right. Some some property management companies, they don't they want the owners to just go away. Right. And right. I, I can under, I can understand that from their perspective, because a lot of owners just interfere and cause problems. Sure. But we made it clear, like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. But we're also not just going to disappear. Um, so it was a very it was a you know a process of elimination and then making sure that it was going to be more of a, a partner relationship. 
uh, as opposed to, oh, crud, we have a deal. We got to find it. We got to hire somebody. We did I mean, we, we went through that process before we had a deal. So. I love it. That's such a great story and such great actionable tips about finding a third-party management company. I had a third-party management company uh, <laughs> regional manager tell me once while we we're on site walking this property, as I'm asking questions, he's like, "Man, we we got you. You know, you ought to be on the drink. You ought to be on the beach drinking pina coladas. We got this." So if you ever hear that from your management company. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't use that management company. <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be a red. Yeah, you're right on that. That sounds like a red flag to me. It's a so. red flag. Yeah. So, but uh, I love the screening process, all that stuff. And these guys that use it now, I mean, they're national, which it sounds like they're national, which is important yeah. for you guys, right? Because you're in some different markets. You're West Coast. You've got deals in Florida, you know, Georgia, what have you. Yeah, well, so I live on the West Coast, and um, all of, we we actually had 800 units in Texas. We we actually have sold all of that at this point. Uh, they cover the exact same region that we currently like to invest in. So they're Florida, Georgia, a little bit of Alabama, and the Carolinas. Perfect. And so that's our preferred area, and that's their area. So they're they're actually a regional management company, and okay. they've um they've actually made a very conscious decision to not grow too fast and they've actually said no we want to stick in this area and just be really good in this area as opposed to you know try to expand all over the country so it's um that was another thing we liked is like they seemed they were growth minded but not growth at the expense of everything else i love it there's such a discipline involved with with that you have to grow right a company's not going to be static but um i've seen so many management companies, so many multifamily operators that kind of have like a mentality of if we can, we should. And <laughs> yeah, no. it's just, you know, not to say that it's disastrous in every case, but uh, I think it takes a certain type of discipline to, yes, we're going to grow, but it's going to be controlled and steady. And the quality is not, the quality of what we're offering is not going to suffer. Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right. Do deals because you should not because you can. Right. Because the last bunch of years, you can always do a deal. It seems like, you know, anybody kind of put the capital together and, and closing a deal is, is, uh, is just the very beginning of it. Um, so you kind of mentioned what markets they're in, what markets you guys are in. You, you've grown the company from leaving a W-2 to doing a, a challenging first deal to, to like, you know, this, this multifamily firm that's in multiple markets doing $50 million deals. What do you personally focus on today as kind of your, the highest and best use of your time? And, and what was the path like getting there? I'm sure you were doing all the stuff in the very beginning, you and your wife. And today, I'm sure it's very different. What, is, what does today look like in terms of what, you know, what's most impactful for you to be doing? Yeah, and I'd say, you know, looking back, that was probably one of my bigger mistakes was not bringing on a team earlier in the in the business and in the process. Sure. Um, and it would have been, you know, probably more than likely would have scaled a little, little more. Um, and like you said, in the beginning, yeah, my wife and I were every hat. Um, yep. Now, the benefit of that is when you do start bringing on team members to start taking some of that stuff off your plate, you understand what they're doing and you can guide them and direct because you've done it right you know what the results should look like uh so um so yeah so now 
my what I try to focus on and I still get sucked into some stuff that everyone I'm like oh, I just just want to get this done and I'm like I probably shouldn't be doing this but I just you know like something with assurance comes up or whatever but um you know now as an in, 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 as an investor and again, I, I think this applies even down to like, if you've got, you know, two fourplexes and you're looking at a third one, really the highest and best use of, of my time as an investor is, uh, you know, building the relationships that lead to deals coming in and then also building the relationships that leads to equity coming in, right? Because mm-hmm. those are the two core pieces of the business that without either one, the business doesn't exist. So my my top focus is you know broker relationships help trying to build systems to uh to find more deals we're actually doing some direct to owner outreach stuff now um and that that's we just started a couple months ago but it's getting some good traction so it's like you know putting help figuring out putting those pieces together is is high value uh, and then again, you know, talking when talking with investors and going to seminars and just meeting people and 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 also building the relationships with our on-site staff that run the properties and making sure they're well cared for. And then, of course, as a result, they take really good care of our properties. So those are the the high value uh, things that I try to focus on in the business. Yep, that's great. I like how you framed it around. Um, deal acquisition and the capital, but instead of saying those two things, it's like, what are the relationships that are going to naturally result in those things? Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's all, it's all through relationships. So I love that. I think that's, that's a, that's a tremendous focus. I want to ask you a couple of questions to kind of wrap up here. One is from the vantage point of somebody that maybe has a high W2 job, but they're looking to go get into doing a deal and they're new to that. What do you say to that person? You mean someone who's uh, someone who's looking to go out and do their own deal? Correct. Yeah. Uh, just, just be prepared for a long slog in the beginning, right? I mean, this, right. this is an unfair business in that it, the longer you're in it, the easier it gets. The hard part is getting started. Right. So just, you know, once you've determined like, yeah, you know what? Um, I want to get a, I want to start investing. I want to get some properties. Just know that it, you know, you're going to have to have relentless persistence, but it is absolutely 100% worth doing. And once you get good at it, you absolutely can, if it's your goal, replace a six-figure W-2 job investing in real estate. And there's all kinds of paths to do it. You can you can do what's, you know, I think it's sometimes some people call it the stack method, right? Where you like, you buy a fourplex and you fix it up, you sell it from, you leverage that into an eight unit. And then you turn that into a 12 and into a 25, right? And you just build your own portfolio up on your own. That's one way. Right. Another way is to go partner with people and, and say, well, hey, I've got these skills, you've got these skills, we're going to work together and we're going to do this a little bit faster. And then, of course, you can go the syndication route, especially if you might already, if, you, if you're in a high income job, you might, well, all your coworkers might be your, your first seven investors, right? right? So you could say, you know what, hey, I'm going to go buy this 10 unit, it's going to be a $1.5 million. And um, you know what, let's, and you're going to, you're going to pull together the equity from you know, yourself and, and your and, and your coworkers or whoever else in your network. So yeah, there's a, a lot of ways that you can get started while you still have your W2 job. Um, and it will be, I'm a big believer in going to whatever market makes this most sense for returns. 
But if you're buying your own deals while still working a job, if you can make it work in your own market in your backyard, that will make your life a little bit easier. Uh, and the good news is for, I'm guessing, probably most of your, you know, most of the people listening today are in Texas and it's hard to find a, a terrible market in Texas. So if you're in San Antonio or Dallas or Fort Worth or Austin or the right parts of Houston, the good news is you're already in the right spot. So. Right. I love it. So it's such good, actionable insight there. So the uh, same kind of question, but from the framework of somebody that has uh, a good W-2 job, has no desire to go do what you do, but maybe looking to place a hundred capital in a deal and they don't know where to start with, with operators and crowd street and meeting sponsors. And how, you know, how do you find the, if you're just getting into this, how do you find the, the, the sponsor to park some capital with? I'd say that the, the best way is word of mouth, you know, right. talk to listen to, you know, I mean, if you're hearing this, you're, you're, you're listening to Devin. Um, and you know, so you, I mean, Devin, I don't know how many years we've known each other, but I've heard nothing but good stuff about the deals you do. And oh, so you. you're an option. And then obviously, you know, other sponsors, right? So I've had, an, I've had investors who invest with me say, Hey, you know, I want to diversify. What other sponsors would you recommend I invest with? And better believe I'm going to make sure I only give the best recommendations that I can. 100%. Right. So yeah, I would say find one good one and then say, Hey, you know, who else in that does what you do? Do you also respect and recommend I talk to? And a good sponsor will be willing to do that. Right. Uh, and they're, they're not going to be afraid. Oh no, no, no. I, you know, I'm going to lose your investment or anything like that. So, you know, again, it's the, the entire business, almost no matter what side of it you're on really comes down to relationships. And again, if you're starting from scratch, Find one good person either by listening to podcasts, by going to meetups, investment clubs. I mean, you could even go to, you know, places like Bigger Pockets and all that and get some referrals, get to know them, and just know that, you know, especially today, you're, you see lots of sexy looking pro formas and investment packages. It's all about the operator. Right. right? They all look good, right? Yeah. They all, it, it all comes down to the operator. A, a great operator can take a crappy property and, and do a good job with it, but a bad operator can turn the most amazing deal into a nightmare. Um, right. So it's all about the operator. So again, re referrals and relationships. I love it. I love it. Such actionable content today and a great story. Congratulations on all you guys success. If somebody wants to connect with you, get into your universe, Andrew, what's a good uh, avenue for that? Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find on all the socials, LinkedIn and, and all that. Probably the best way to truly connect is just uh, go to our website. If you Google Vantage Point Acquisitions, uh, it'll, it's, you should be the top result, but the website is vpacq.com. And there's a handful of buttons on there, um, you know, just for, con to just, uh, you know, fill out the contact us form and, you know, it comes to our inbox. Uh, we've got that. We have a mastermind for people who are already doing deals and looking to scale. There's information about that on there. Um, so yeah, pretty much, you know, anything you'd want to find out or get to know the, the website's probably the best way to do that. Excellent. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. You can click right through from the, from the podcast, Andrew Cushman. Thank you. This is great. Thank you for joining us. I, I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, it was fun catching up with you, man. I enjoyed it. Awesome. All right. Well, take care. We'll catch up soon. All right. Take care, Devin. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. I hope you found that educational, entertaining, inspiring, all of the above. If you are interested in seeing future DJE investment projects, 
and you are not already on our list and in our portal, uh, you can go to the website, djetexas.com. There's a little button there to schedule a 15-minute call with our team, answer any questions you have, and make sure you get on that list to see that next project that comes out. Also, if you're interested in being uh, an investor that runs these deals, we've got a free seven-module course for you at apartmenteducators.com. Uh, a lot of great free content there to ramp up your education in the multifamily investing space. Once again, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We always appreciate a five-star review. That helps the reach of the show. That's one way you can give back if you enjoyed it. And we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.